Gracious God, let your light shine in our hearts, in our lives, in our world. Amen. Please be seated. This Sunday after Christmas traditionally belongs to this first chapter of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. This is often called the hymn to the Logos, that Greek word for word. It's this beautiful and esoteric passage of Scripture. It leaves behind the shepherds, the angels, Bethlehem entirely. John's interested in high philosophy and high theology. John is letting go of the basics of the story to answer deep questions. John is asking, what does it mean? What does all this mean? John assumes you know the context. By the time John was written, Luke's gospel was well known. That story that the children told in the pageant, that story that we tell each Christmas was well known. And so John writes poetry. John does academic theology. But this passage is old at this point. It's well-versed. We know it. We grew up with it. And it can be sort of tricky to get a sense of exactly what John is doing, how this poem captures what is the what about Christmas. And so I want to begin with a different poem this morning. I was introduced to the poet Richard Blanco, like most folks, at Barack Obama's second inauguration as president, the Cuban-American refugee poet who came to these shores at 45 days old. I really recommend Richard Blanco for these times, especially his book, How to Love a Country. But I want to give you just a few lines from another poem of Blanco's this morning, one that echoes what John is doing as John echoes the first book of the Bible. Listen to just a couple of lines from Blanco's poem, Havanasis. In the beginning, in the beginning before God created Cuba, the earth was chaos, empty of form and without music. The Spirit of God stirred over the dark tropical waters and God said, let there be music. And a soft conga began a one-two beat in the background of the chaos. What I love about Blanco's poem is the blatant incorporation of culture. He's doing it for humor's sake. It's okay to laugh at Blanco's poem, but also to make a point about God. And Blanco retells the well-versed story, and Blanco makes it his story. There is delight and laughter and conga and deep theology God intends, loves, is interested in the music of the people, and specifically for Blanco, the Cuban people. There's a beauty in that specificity. God is real, and God speaks in specific, real, daily, contextual ways. God cares about what the people care about. God listens to the people in specific, culturally, contextual ways. God's realness, God's here-ness, they're at the heart of this poem. 
And what Richard Blanco does really is not so far from what John the Gospeler was doing in the first verses. John also rewrote the poetry of creation. John speaks the language not of conga, but of Greek philosophy. This word, this logos that came into the world, it was a high concept in Greek academic thought. John is saying what you care about, what you debate, what you love, God is there. God can be located in the here and the now, even in the abstract concepts of philosophy. In John's Gospel and Blanco's Havanesis, they beg a question for everyone who would show up at church the Sunday after Christmas when most of the world is on vacation, they beg a question. How would you write this story? How would you contextualize? How would you tell of God's coming into your world? It's not blasphemy to retell. Honestly, Episcopalians don't really worry about blasphemy anyway. We trust God can sort out between the good poetry and the bad. So what would you say? What images would you choose to communicate the story of God's coming into the world? Would you worry about what John worries about? The academics, the high philosophy? Would you worry about science? Would you speak the language of string theory and dark matter? Would you tell the story of kinetic energy behind creation, the very stuff of God which created the world, gave life and breath to the people, choosing to dwell with us? It would make about as much sense as what John says of the Logos. God chose us, chose to be one of us. How would you tell this story? How would you communicate that God came to dwell? A word of encouragement as you seek to tell this story, make sure you tell the whole story. Theology matters at Christmas. This is a radical message that the word became flesh, it matters. But if we don't understand the context, we miss the theology, we miss why. John's poem meditates not just on the word, not just on the logos, but on light and darkness, on those who hear the message and those who will not hear it. And these are themes that John will continue throughout the gospel. These are themes that Christians have used wrongly across our history to bludgeon folks of other faiths. So let's be clear about context. John was not written, John's gospel was not written as a textbook for anti-Semitism. It wasn't. John's gospel was not written for the powerful. The gospeler never imagined that one day the Roman emperor would declare the whole empire Christian. He couldn't have imagined that. To John, that would have sounded preposterous. Where you tell this story matters. Where you tell the Christmas story matters. And the story of Christmas was not originally told in halls of power, not in marble palaces. As I said in my sermon on Christmas Eve, where God chose to dwell matters. Notice God did not choose Augustus' Rome, Quirinius's Antioch, Herod's Jerusalem. God is not born even in the center of Bethlehem, that marginal village outside the capital. God is born outside of town to an unmarried couple who could not find a roof for their heads. 
The story that's in the background, as John tells it, it explains that God pays attention to the edge of the edge of human existence. That context is assumed in John. John understands you know the story. We know the story of Jesus' birth because it was told. The story was told first by women and slaves and refugees. Remember, these gospels were handed down for centuries in a religion that was first thought of as a last refuge for the outcasts. Christianity was not popular in the high society of Rome. It was a religion of women and slaves. We know the story of Jesus' birth because it was told as a story of God's joining in the resistance against the powers of empire. We know the story of Christmas because this is a story that happened in a specific, surprising context to a specific people who saw God's attention turned where the world's attention did not. God chose to dwell, to incarnate, The word became flesh in the least likely of human circumstances. God cared about a people the world would have preferred to forget. God chose to dwell in a specific place. That specificity matters as you tell the Christmas story. I've had friends ask, especially this year, how can we celebrate Christmas with all that's happening in our world. Maybe you felt a bit of that this Christmas as we hear stories of corruption and suffering with families in detention on our southern border. How can we celebrate? To respond, I'd ask, what better story can we tell? But that God chose to be with us in the dark, in the fear, in the insecurity. God chose an unlikely people on the edge of an empire, a family that we will read next week must flee the violent outbursts of their governor. God chose to be with the people who suffer. God chose to dwell with those who are vulnerable. So how do we tell this Christmas story in our own day? How do we make it real? The poets among us may have words, and words can be beautiful reminders. But words are just one way to write poetry. Words are just one way to remind folk that God is present. We can tell this Christmas story with our actions as well, by choosing to dwell, choosing to walk, choosing to advocate with the people God chooses. We can tell the Christmas story by following God to the least likely corners of our city, We can do the work of Christmas, as the great theologian Howard Thurman said. We can do the work of Christmas by reaching out, by feeding, by visiting, by telling the gospel truth, not only with our lips, but in our lives. We can tell the Christmas story in our own context. When we bring light where there is no light, when we bring joy where there is no joy, when we bring laughter where there is no laughter, when we bring music. Perhaps we'll finish where we began. 
Just a few more lines from Richard Blanco, the poet, from the final stanzas of Havanasis. And so God gave the people dominion over all the creatures and musical instruments and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, eat pork, drink rum, make music and dance. And on the seventh day, God rested from the labors of his creation. He smiled upon the celebration and listened to their music. Blanco's poem, it strikes me, was written in English, with a Cuban accent for sure, but I wonder if his rewrite of creation would have meant as much if it wasn't written by a refugee for other refugees, if the love of the poem wasn't also a longing. As you write your own Christmas story, know that longing is part of the love. We know the light shines because it shines in the darkness. At Christmas, context matters. God chooses to become flesh, to dwell with us. When you tell the story of Christmas, remember to be specific, because God is specific. God chooses to dwell where the need is greatest. That is a story our world still so needs to hear. Where does your version of the Christmas story begin? Amen.